uh, just be a day trip over and back again um, so I can see my daughter graduate. When the PM's away, Winston Peters will play. They'd have paid more attention to the economy rather than their woke, idiotic left with the ideals. It's not nonsense, it's totally true and I can prove it. I don't know. On the Marae, Megan, you keep quiet. Right? You don't shout out like some bunch of clouds at university. We acknowledge that and don't just carry on like a bigoted lefty shill. With Christopher Lutzen on Family Business in Australia, arise Acting Prime Minister Peters to dominate Question Time. Does the Prime Minister or the Acting Prime Minister agree with David Seymour that, quote, you can't trust Winston Peters and a lot of things will be much, much harder than they otherwise would and that Winston Peters is, quote, just a muppet. The problem is he can't work with anyone. The good news is he's going down in flames. He's yesterday's man. And if not, why not? Because um, even politically, as the good book says, nobody's beyond redemption. Well, can he tell the House what the minimum wage is today? 233? 2270? 2270? Am I right? Yeah. No, I didn't ask him. I was telling him. Not to be outdone, cue his de facto deputy, Shane Jones. One of the great lies about climate change is that, yes, apparently it's a crisis. The hysteria surrounding climate change. We are not going to meet the 2030 dreamy, fairy tale, aspirational figures. Whatever work has been happening in the Ministry for the Environment, that is now stopped. A speech which opened the door to this exchange and call out from Chloe Swarbrick. Climate change, we're just going about it a different way. It's a demonstrable lie! Demonstrable lie. Two words that could land her in Parliament's court, the powerful Privileges Committee. So much for festive friendliness. Kia ora, I'm Tova O'Brien and welcome to the final pod of the year. It has been an enormous year of politics, so let's lighten the mood. Stay tuned for some easy listening Christmas cheer. Twas the week before the week before Christmas when all through the house every creature was stirring, none quiet as a mouse. We wanted to find out if New Zealand was on the naughty list, so we asked some of our big hitters at Parliament what they're giving us for Christmas and for their New Year's resolutions, which we all famously break. Not that any politician has ever broken a promise before. Here is a little gift from our team at Stuff Politics, Bridie Witten, Glenn McConnell and me. Have you got a Christmas present for Kiwis? Uh, well, we're working hard to make sure that we actually lower inflation and actually lower the cost of living. That's why you're seeing a huge amount of action for us, particularly around um, the Reserve Bank Act, particularly around you know, lowering costs of businesses, and particularly around making sure that we get tax relief set up for New Zealanders. And your New Year's resolution? Um, basically to uh, try and probably exercise a little bit more. Come back on the Tome podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah good. Let's say this very quickly to ask you a very important Christmas question. Um, what is your Christmas present to Kiwis? Uh, well, today it's a stable monetary policy, tonight it's an end to fair pay agreements, and all of next year it's better government so people can afford uh, to get through the week and eventually get ahead. And your New Year's resolution? Um, better policy, especially less red tape and regulation for everyone. Shane Jones, do you have a Christmas present for New Zealanders this year? Christmas present? Yeah. It will become evident at the end of the week. Um, do you have a New Year's resolution? I do, but I'll share, with them, share you with them later. Do you have a Christmas gift for Kiwis? Uh, my Christmas gift for Kiwis is that they can go into Christmas confident that next year we will be delivering tax relief. And what about a New Year's resolution? 
My New Year's resolution is to spend taxpayers' money with respect and to treat it with the discipline it deserves. What is your New Year's resolution? Oh, goodness, I haven't even thought that far ahead yet. Uh, exercise more. There you go. Do you have a New Year's resolution? Oh, it's not just a New Year's resolution. I've got the resolution right now that the Greens will continue to be a strong voice for planet, for climate, for environment, for tiriti and for people. Mr Peters, what, um, do you have a Christmas present for New Zealand this year? Yes. What is it? We won the election. And a New Year's resolution? <laughs> What a year it has been. A veritable political smorgasbord, bookended by the resignation of Jacinda Ardern and the election of a new government, which raced into a rip-snorting, repeal-heavy, 100-day plan with a very ambitious, often contentious, policy agenda. It was a year marked by ministerial muck-ups under Labour, Michael Woods, Stuart Nash, Kitty Tapuellen. So too by policy bonfires, first under Chris Hipkins, who ditched, stalled, or reworked the TVNZ-RNZ merger, income insurance, three waters, speed limit reductions, hate speech law, the clean car upgrade and plans for a wealth tax and tax-free threshold. The raising continued under Christopher Luxon. Fair pay agreements, 90-day trials, more speed limit reductions, RMA changes, three waters again, said ill names on some government departments and smoke-free laws. And it's those last two which are cutting deep into the national psyche with vociferous and emotive criticism of the government's approach to race relations and health. And they will undoubtedly be the thorns in the government's side throughout this term. Māori relations in particular, including the Treaty Principles Bill and Treaty Legislation Review, this will be Luxon's crown of thorns. All that after a marathon campaign followed by marathon coalition negotiations which literally saw leaders of the governing parties flying back and forth and back and forth between Auckland and Wellington through hotel rooms, houses and hidden haunts. We've seen the release of comprehensive coalition agreements announced at a statesmanly press conference which fast descended into a brawl with the media, aka mathematical morons. We've heard a lot from the government about how it will work for all New Zealanders and that it will be driven by outcomes. The dynamics of the deal, however, have lent themselves to conflicting views between ministers from different parties, or at least different ways of articulating themselves, even on their purportedly shared goals. Shane Jones on oil and gas exploration, Winston Peters on false claims about the media being bribed by the government. These are just two examples of Luxon saying he wouldn't have expressed things in quite the same way. Governments, Prime Ministers and Ministers can be ruthlessly focused on making sure they deliver for New Zealanders, as Luxon describes it. But no government, no Prime Minister, no Minister can ever take the politics out of politics. And in an unprecedented three-way coalition, it is hard to ignore the fact that there are now three times the politics. You've heard it on the pod, what politicians are giving you for Christmas, and lucky you, changes to the Reserve Bank Act from Luxon, winning the election from Peters, a good and effective opposition from Chris Hipkins among them. All your Christmas dreams come true. And after the gruelling sausage roll sodden year that has been, fair enough that well-being is top of mind for most politicians' New Year's resolutions, but if we could perhaps add one more thing to our lists for Santa, a further resolution from our pollies to set aside some of the politics of 2023, let's reduce that smorgasbord to a tasteful degustation and focus on bridging some of the chasms dividing the country these last few years. The upshot is, 
Kumbaya. Merry Christmas, everybody. Now it is time for the final episode of the Beehive Buzz for the year. Let us bring in our magnificent political editor, Luke Malpass, with what we should be looking out for this week, next week and beyond. Hey, Lukey, how are you? How's the head? Oh, it's pretty good. Pretty good, too, right? <laughs> Took a reasonably easy uh, last night. The annual press gallery party, which is hosted by the press gallery for basically, you know, politicians and hangers-on around politics. I thought we were both impeccably behaved, personally. So, you know, hats off to us, and hopefully all of our bosses uh, are listening. Um, what was strictly no report- reporting from the, the press gallery party, as we all know, so don't spill the, the beans, but it was good vibes, wasn't it, despite the house sitting under urgency until midnight for some of those poor MPs? Yeah, yeah, it really was. Um it was good vibes. I mean, um, everyone in the top, kind of right side of politics is um, grinning like the sort of cat that got the cream. They're just sort of feeling pretty good about things because they kind of think that this government's going to go race far ahead of where New Zealand is at. And, of course, the Inter-Island was a big topic of discussion last night. I mean, one of the things I've noted about the press gallery party is wonderfully New Zealand thing. It's in this sort of alleyway between the Beehive and Parliament. It's just a lot of drinks and a sausage sizzle. Except the sausages didn't sizzle last night because the gas can't... Well, they ended up eventually sizzling again, but the sausages didn't sizzle for a while because the gas ran out. So cold sausages all round. I filled up that gas two years ago. Uh, <laughs> but um, one of the things I love is when you see diplomats who go there for the first time mm. because can't and they can't... They love it because I like it's just this so informal, totally off the record... Fun mix and mingle. It's uniquely New Zealand, actually. It's really quite cool. Yeah, it really is. It's a special night. Um, you mentioned the the ferries, which was massive news for us this week. Our new ferries scotched hundreds of millions of dollars, potentially down the gurgler. Why can't governments of any stripe get their shit together when it comes to infrastructure? All these big projects. The short answer to your question is, I think that uh, price, we're too cheap. The politics of big infrastructure in New Zealand is always basically, we got a good deal on the price. Mm. And quite often, through a lot of these processes, everyone kind of knows that the price that the government announced is a bit nonsense. Always going to blow out. Yeah, it's kind of a fiction. Um, I mean, in the case of the Inter Island, it does appear that they decided they wanted these new ferries and said, oh, yeah, we can we can rebuild some ports, but hadn't actually looked at how much all of that was going to cost and hadn't investigated it properly. It was notable that Grant Robertson yesterday basically said the same thing. Nicola was said, well, we weren't happy about how much mm. it was blowing out either. We weren't going to give Kiwi Rail we were going to give them a bit more money, but not not what they wanted. So um, there's clearly been some pretty bad mismanagement, I think, both at a, at a ministerial and clearly at a board and probably management level as well. And we are the ones who will pay the price with our <laughs> broken down ferries well, I mean, stumbling across the strait. This is the question, right? I mean, it, clearly Nicola Willis, the new price tab was three bill. It was going to be $775 million six years ago. She said, well, I don't think it's going to be three billion. I think it'll be end up being more. Maybe she's right, maybe she's not. But, you know, I mean, you're going to cancel these things. There's a risk. There's two things. Could be a bit penny-wise, pound foolish. You know, they reckon they're going to go and rejigger a thing, but they might end up that it's also very expensive. And the other thing is cancelling big contracts with big, you know, shipbuilding. There are consequences. Yeah, I mean, a bit of sovereign risk can come into play. Will someone else want to contract? Like, big companies like that, they don't discriminate between whether it's national or labour. They're just like, well, is New Zealand going to Welsh on a contract? So... I mean, I think it'll be okay, but there will be penalties to pay. But, you know, you don't want to go around doing this sort of thing that often. Clearly, it was not a decision that, that Willis had kind of taken lightly. Totally. So that's going to be a big one to watch going into next week and also going into to next year. Usually the, the gallery party, it signifies the wind down, but we've got a huge week to come next week. Yeah, that's right. Mini budget 
half-year economic forecast. So that'll most likely show that tax receipts, particularly corporate tax receipts, are down again. Government has less money to play with. And the mini-budget, I think they'll get through announce or when all their tax changes and stuff are going to happen most likely and probably reveal some of the fiscal cliffs that the government has been claiming um, had been sort of left there for them. So it'll sort of set the context for, um, for you know, the next sort of five months leading up into the budget in May. Finally, as it is the, the last pot of the year, give us a bit of a, a throw forward on things to watch out for next year. Oh, look, I think um, the new government is going to try as best they can to make a virtual predictability. So I don't think there's going to be sort of light and sound announcements. I think they'll signal what they're going to do and then they'll kind of do it. I mean, yesterday's Andromeda announcement was kind of a little bit out of the blue, mm. but I think that was basically because the Kiwi Rail board had come back and said, well, we're not going to do it anymore. And they didn't want it to leak out. So they're like, well, we'd better announce this. But I think there'll be a lot of predictability around that. I think Labour will really be the ones to watch in the next six months. They're all feeling pretty great now because, you know, they're in opposition. They they seem to think, you know, there's a bit of energy in the left behind kind of opposing the new government. But look, six months down the line next year, you're in opposition. It's getting pretty grim. Mm. Um, so it'll be that, that'll be an interesting one to watch. The other interesting thing, I think, to look out for next year will be where Crystal Luxon decides that he wants to start travelling. Mm. You know, he said that India trade deal's priority. Maybe he goes over there. You know, he loves the United States. Maybe try and... Um, Increasingly so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe you'll maybe you'll try and get him there. So you know, I mean, I think it'll be very interesting to see how he starts to to grow on the kind of international side of his, of his role. And you and I can arm wrestle for that White House trip. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lukey, thank you so so much. Merry 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 Christmas. Thank you for being such a supportive and generous and just magnificent colleague um, in this transition for me over to stuff. I've really, really appreciated it and have loved working with you. I hope you have a great break. Hey, thanks so much, Toby. Right back at you. I'm always interested to hear from you too. Please email us, tova at stuff.co.nz. And producer Chris is with us now. How are you, Chris? And what's the mailbag looking like this week? It's bulging. It's bigger than Santa's sack. Take that, Santa. <laughs> I don't think we were that surprised that last week's show about Titiriti or Waitangi under the new government generated a monster mailbag. Carwin responded to some of the comments from your interview with Treaty Negotiations Minister Paul Goldsmith, specifically when you revisited some of his earlier comments about colonisation having some positive outcomes for Māori. Uh, Carwin writes, I think the mistake that Mr Goldsmith makes is assuming that colonisation is a synonym for the arrival of British slash European settlers here in Aotearoa, but that is not the same thing. The benefits that Mr Goldsmith talks about could certainly be said to come from an engagement with different peoples, trading resources, technologies and ideas. None of that relies on the taking of indigenous lands and controlling and subordinating indigenous peoples by force that is characteristic of colonisation. Mutually beneficial relationships between peoples can instead be based on mutual respect and recognition which was what Tertility sets out. I think that's a really good point. Wherever the exact truth lies, I think there's merit in splitting out the issue. Colonisation, it's such a loaded term for all of those reasons, for very good reason. And and perhaps Goldie, I think, is now trying, Paul Goldsmith is now trying to do that and separate out those two aspects. Um, but to quantify it as good or bad on balance doesn't fully account for those components part. So th- thanks very much, Carwin, for that email. Mm, thanks, Carwin. Uh, the whole the whole feedback section this week is about uh, this issue. Matt praises you for your excellent analysis of current and historical events and says, 
I thought the Minister Goldsmith was generally unaware of the extent to which pre-existing Māori rights were affirmed under Titiriti. Uh, moving on, and coming from a slightly different angle, Rob's message was to the point, for some balance, you forgot to mention that under the past six years of Labour, the stats for Māori did not improve either. Yeah, that, that's true, Rob. Thank you for your message. It's also true that things got worse for Māori under governments led by each of the two major parties. So if you take the prison population, for example, according to a Ministry of Justice report, Māori overrepresentation in prisons began to develop before 1960. The proportion has been consistently at or above 50% since 1999, I think only dipping below a couple of times. Changes to policies and practices made since 1980 haven't altered uh, levels of Māori overrepresentation, and we saw Labour with its 30% prison reduction target. It reduced the prison population and did not reduce the overrepresentation of Māori in our prisons. So, like so many issues, housing, affordability, cancer care, education, it's something that neither of the two major parties have got to grips with. And I think, as I said in the, the upshot, Let's bridge these chasms. And I said in the upshot last week, actually, that I don't see this as a left or right issue. I, you know, I really hear the concerns that are coming out of Te Ao Māori that instead of trying to address that imbalance and inequity, some of the government's policies risk seeding more division. But I also want to give National the benefit of the doubt. And I really hope that when they talk about divesting powers, it means greater resources for the community and, and that kind of buy Māori for Māori approach at that level. We have to shift the dial. Indeed, it's quite but, a long, quite a long response, wasn't it? <laughs> long, long response to a short, uh, short message there, Rob. But thank you very much. It's an issue I care greatly about. Yeah, well, there's another short message here from Bob. Maybe it's a Rob Bob short message thing. I don't know. Maybe it's because the names are contractions. I don't know abbreviations. Uh, I'm, I'm going on and on, <laughs> on and on now. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> just don't. Let's actually let's drop the rest of the feedback, and I just want to hear your musings on Rob Bob. <laughs> Anyway, Bob was equally succinct. He said Māori have received 2.6 billion, repeat, billion in treaty settlements to date. Figure out where that money has gone. Another succinct message. Thank you very much, Bob. This is probably going to get another um, long reply from me. Put it into context. And I think if we pull out a single example that was paid out over, that sum was paid out over about three decades. And in the 23-24 budget alone, New Zealand's military received 5.3 billion and one billion was earmarked to restore public infrastructure in the wake of Cyclone Gabrielle. And we're obviously not suggesting that either of those things isn't important and that money shouldn't be spent. It's just that, you know, while inconceivably huge compared to household budgets, the $2.6 billion figure has to be in context. And it's also, I think, worth thinking about some of the things the settlements are for. Earlier this year, Tokoroi Rangi Morgan, the chair of Waikato Tainui's executive body, Te Aratauda, talked to staff about their latest settlement. So they got $170 million in 1995, and then three top-ups worth $220 million. Morgan noted that the original $170 million covered only about 0.3% of the assets that Waikato Tainui lost during the wars of the 1860s, and including some of the country's most fertile lands. And in that context, those top-ups were a tiny, really, price to pay given the land confiscations and the deaths of Māori that occurred during the conflicts in Waikato, he said. Mm, what price of life. Yeah, indeed. Okay, that is the end of the formal feedback section. Thanks everybody who's got in touch over the last few months. We really appreciate it and we can't wait to hear your thoughts in 2024. But Tova, I have a question for you. Chris, 
what has been the highlight of your 2023? Oh, um, she loves an election campaign. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was kind of my happy place, and it collided with the podcast just kicking off and new job, new you know new kind of big changes in my life after quite a tumultuous year. Um, so I think that in general, the campaign and the political stories, but actually overarching and over and above all of that is just coming to work with you guys, figuring out our little potty, which is, um, we learned today, the number one political podcast in the country. Woo-hoo! And whoop, whoop. And I, yeah, it's just been a, it's been a joy to get back into the saddle and back into politics and work with such an amazing team, including, including yourself. Mm. Um, so thank you. It's kind of, it brought me back, brought me back from, you know, she, she was a wobbly old year, but it's been great to feel like I'm, as National would say, back on track. Let's get this Tova back on track. What about you, Chris? What's your highlight been? Well, I've had lots of highlights this year. They're not all related to this podcast, I'm sorry to say. But this <laughs> podcast has been one of the highlights for me, seriously. Um, I've really enjoyed working with you. I know it's kind of turned into a mutual backslapping exercise, but it's been great to get to know you. We'd never met before we sat in a room and basically worked what the hell we were going to do with a podcast. You interrogated me. You, you asked me. I, I had, we, had, we sat there for um, had a brainstorming session and it started with a big Q&A of What was your favourite and... subject at school? I'm not asking you now. I don't know if I even remember that. (laughs) Uh, I really loved English. Well, that's not surprising, really. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, it's been, it's been, uh, this podcast has been one of many highlights. I'm fortunate that um, Stuff Audio has a brilliant team of people who make all kinds of wonderful podcasts. If you like this one, listen to some of the others. There's all sorts. This is just a blatant plug now. (laughs) But it's been a great year to establish Stuff as the uh, leader in podcasts in Altera. Are you reading off a script? (laughs) (laughs) I think he's reading off a script. (laughs) Merry Christmas, Chris. Thanks so much. Merry Christmas to you too. You've been listening to Tova, hosted and produced by me, Tova O'Brien. This is the final episode of 2023, but we will be back in plenty of time to get the politics party started for 24, and we'll be broadcasting live from Waitangi, so you won't want to miss that episode. Hit the follow button wherever you're listening to the pod, because if you follow us on your favourite podcast app, you'll get new episodes automatically when we return. And keep an eye on the feed as well. There may be some odd bonus shortcasts, emphasis on the odd, my beachside campsite reckons perhaps if you missed an episode you can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash tova or again wherever you get your podcasts thank you so much to our phenomenal production team aaron darman audio editor extraordinaire connor scott and executive producer chris reed thank you to each and every one of the politicians past and present and everyone else who's been on the show since we started way back at the beginning of the election campaign which feels like years ago but most of all Thank you, thank you for listening and for making the show a success. A week is a long time in politics. Thankfully, the holiday season is significantly longer. Enjoy your break. We will see you on the flip side. Kakite. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz/support.